0: So, isn't really a map. So, starting next month, we will be interpreting the images and the data in order to produce a final map with the local committee and through community workshops. A few issues that I'd like to highlight of our work that touches on the themes of this workshop. Maps have long been an essential tool in support of colonial projects. They aid in the enforcement of property rights. They permit the organisation of military operations. The same may be said about aerial photography. It is unsurprising, therefore, that refugee camps are often uneasy and, uh, about the security implications of mapping. Who will be using this map you're making and to what end? Actually, Maunica's presentation yesterday was also fascinating to hear regarding the case of al Barrett This concern was definitely there in Mali. A number of people were initially quite suspicious of the project. It was therefore essential that we were working under the supervision of the local committee. This helped to dispel any concerns. A major effort was mounted by key members of the local committee to inform the community, both by speaking to the various factions within the camp as well as to the Lebanese army. This took time. The actual mapping only took a few days, but the preparatory work took over a month and a half. My long-term connection with the camp also helped allay concerns. So one day, when I was out mapping with my two best mappers, Firas and Mustafa, a young man came up to me and eyed me suspiciously and asked if I was from the Mossad. Okay. Firas and Mustafa and the group that gathered around us cracked up and asked if he thought it very likely that someone from the Mossad would have been in the middle of the camp mapping with a balloon. Another time, our big red balloon apparently presented an irresistible target to a group of youths horsing around. They shot it down with a pellet gun. Taking security implications into consideration, the committee therefore decided that a future map will be in paper format, and for the time being would not be available online. The committee is keen to have something that they can share with the community and visitors in opposition to the secrecy with which they feel others are handling maps of the camp. For the UN has in fact produced maps of Burda Shamali, but they're quite a difficult commodity to get your hands on. Without getting into the detail, I'm a former UN staff member, and I was quite surprised by this refusal to share the map with the community. The intent here is surely not malicious, and security is a legitimate concern. But such policies also perpetuate the notion of the camp as a dependent and passive beneficiary. It perpetuates their dispossession, depriving camp residents of control over the geospatial reality. But this is not just the UN. If you have a look into the A to Z of Beirut you will note that the refugee camps in the city are left as grey blobs on the map, which also perpetuates the sense that they are unknowable and in a sense non existent places. In Winsomali where the local community was trying to be more active in improving living conditions in the camp the map turned into a symbol of their previous lack of tools capable of legitimizing their knowledge of an authority over their spatial environment. The map is seen as a means of representing their spatial competence, creating a social discourse function that will allow them to communicate in specific situations and with a conventional sign system that outsiders understand. In Burinsha, Mali, the low-technology aspects of balloon mapping made it particularly appealing. While at first there was some disappointment at how low-technology Dawn was, this also soon made our work with the community feel less threatening and more approachable. It also soon also required the involvement of the community, from the carpenter who constructed a case to protect the camera while it was aloof, with some help of the physics teacher who was instructing Firas and Mustafa on the best approaches to the local seamstress and the local tire shop who helped patch the balloon after it was shut down. In addition, we were also invited to people's rooftops and homes constantly as people wanted to partake in the initiative. In addition, in this process, process, the community of World of Somalia is taking an active role in the full data cycle, from question to data collection, and hopefully soon in the analysis of the results. This is therefore creating a sense of ownership, what would normally have been an exclusive and unengaged scientific process. Still, low technology in citizen science is not easy, and at times it can be very labor-intensive. At one point, it was suggested that we contact a tire photographer who was now using drones to photograph weddings. Drones have now become very accessible and affordable and they could easily do what we were using the balloons to do. But for a context like our project in Boroshamali, balloons are symbolically much less threatening. The string tying us to the balloon meant that we had to be present where we mapped. We had to walk all over, climb on people's roofs and interact with <laughs> passers who asked questions. The string attaching us attaching you to the balloon requires you to be present in the space that you're mapping. The visibility inherent in this kind of umbilical cord was a way of winning trust. The mapper is in the map. Indeed, if one looks closely at our finished product, you can see the mappers in the various locations. Balloon mapping is also more poetic. In Borne Somali it caught the imagination of many participants and bystanders. It became an event in the camp, and at times we were the ones being photographed, with our photos being posted on Facebook and attracting comments. To conclude, to conclude, <laughs> one of the most fun and enriching parts of the initiative to date has been the response of the community, and the idea that creating a map does not require high technology. For the youth involved bypassing the governmental and corporate control over geospatial information that shapes how we imagine urban space was particularly appealing conceptually. In addition, in a society where youth find it hard to contribute, my team was charged to be given a role in producing something useful for the community and to be given the space to confront difficulties, solve problems and experiment. For the camp committee, especially its more senior members, enthusiasm sprang from changing the perception of the community and of themselves as helpless and ineffectual, it was vital to them that they saw themselves not as beneficiaries of an outside technology or the research being done, but as partners and co-creators of the understanding of the situation in the camp and the solutions to their problems. The ties that bind me with the camp, both physical and symbolic, have therefore been key. Thank you. Thank mm. you.
1: Uh, Can I request to keep the lights off? Because I also have a kind of a game. Thank you. Sorry.
2: Good afternoon. And
1: uh, I appreciate this opportunity to be able to present a, a reflection yes. on the ethnographic field mm-hmm. research which I conducted last year, uh, particularly in the National Guard Refuge Camp. This is part of the PhD program I'm doing. Uh, As it's going to be a very intense uh, presentation, I mainly share some reflections on the methodologies that I use, my research approach, and a few learnings. The principal aim of my research has been to address the widespread <coughs> destruction or herbicide to which Nahal Bharat was subjected to following the 2007 war, seeing a reconstruction uh, through the lens of justice, and to document the informal grassroots uh, justice strategies that the, the community developed in the absence of any official formal reparation and uh, justice mechanism. In designing my research approach I have been particularly inspired by Edward Said when he says uh, since the main features of our present existence are disposition and dispersion and unconventional hybrid and fragmentary forms of expression should be used to represent us. To comply with this uh, important requirement I have incorporated a multi-method method method in which I have included uh, oral histories, photographs, and community maps in an ethnographic research to be able to reconcile this continuity and fragmentation of the Palestinian lives in the community of Nahor Barid. And particularly, I have focused on the narratives and oral histories as a significant tool in the struggle for equitable representation, which has been the primary struggle of the community in Nahor Barid after -hmm. the 2007 war. Ethnography is a grassroots anthropology. It's actually a practical and political uh, practice that aims at the legitimization of grassroots knowledge and memory. Ethnography challenges the official means of knowledge production as it integrates the descriptions, theories, and uh, uh, principles of the local community. Uh, before proceeding to the field and to explain to you my field journey I would like to give you some image of who I am and uh, how I position myself in the field I am Iranian originally and uh, I study in a university in Ireland so uh, I knew that when I come to Lebanon to research Palestinian refugees there are sensitivities for someone who is neither Lebanese nor Palestinian and also I knew that uh, to be able to research in this context, I need to know about the history of Palestine and the Palestine struggle as well as the history and the geography and politics of Lebanon. So uh, that, even though it gave me an interesting dynamic to explore my positions, it also was quite challenging at time uh, and how I was positioning myself uh, thanks to SMILE, I was uh, connected to uh, a few friends and NGOs uh, inside the camp, which uh, brought me an opportunity to work as a volunteer uh, for a youth-oriented uh, NGO. And at the same time, I was able to secure an internship with Honorwa uh, Coming from an urban planning background, I was able to get internship to work in a design unit. And at the same time, I was affiliated to the Sun Forest uh, as a fellow. So building on all these uh, positionalities I entered the Bharat. once I entered the first and most important thing which you could imagine was the issue of access to the camp which has become a military uh, environment and uh, for me it was important to see how I could uh, first enter the camp and cross the border and uh, that was not a deal, that was not like a first time I had uh, two permits. I had a permit from the local NGO and I had a permit from the UN, but that didn't mean that I was able to cross anytime I wanted and I was uh, easily entering the camp. So the process of entering the camp for me became a daily ritual of accomplishment and stress. As I had to cross first the military officers and uh, to be questioned what I'm going to do that day and who I'm going to meet that day and uh, Then I would cross the soldier who would ask me the same question and who would keep me wait for a few minutes to make sure that I have said the same things to the previous officer. So the first week was quite intense and I was quite worried that my affiliation with the local NGO might cause some harm to the people and uh, whether what I'm doing is uh, really uh, helpful and whether it's going to have some impact in the future, which I cannot foresee at the moment. So there was a huge ethical dilemma that at time made me concerned. So I thought I need to discuss it with the local the community members with whom I had just met and uh, befriended. What I was uh, fascinated to see was that uh, the community took my concerns so responsibly and they tried to assure me that everything will be fine. We are with you and nobody harms you. While my, mo- my worry was that I am harming them. And uh, the way they embraced the whole uh, point and they tried to uh, tell me that, uh, like one in one of the interviews this one activist told me the fact that your presence is so much controlled Reminds us of the fact that we are still living in a ministry zone and for that, we are determined to support you to complete this research. Prior to going to Nahrabad, I had focused on my research as a personal endeavor as something that uh, I'm doing for my own interest, but then I realized that what I took as a personal endeavor is a serious undertaking for the community who sees their collaboration as a resistance. And this re encouraged me to rethink of my research as a ground upon which we could share common understanding and struggle of injustice. And I can say that the challenging security in the Nakhibar actually made me closer to the community, because uh, they felt responsible, even though they were not to protect me and uh, arrange my transport and try to convince the soldier that uh, I need to do some important work in the camp as a volunteer. So that all kind of changed my position from being an outsider who was not trusted to someone who is welcomed and protected. The important observation of my first month in the camp was uh, that in an area of less than two, kilo- two square kilometers, more than 40 local NGOs and organizations have changed the space of the camp to a space of diverse multi-political uh, representation. And uh, the continuous displacement has led to a new form of representation which challenges the street typed uh, conventional images of refugees. And this has radically uh, impacts on the integration of refugees into the research, on how we see refugees, that they are uh, sociopolitical actors, and the wealth of existing local experience in Åland. And the knowledge uh, it was very impressive, and it uh, brought me to the point that uh, a researcher can establish a collaborative platform to engage uh, local organisations and community activists. I will not go through my ethics uh, practice because it was a very long and uh, time-taking procedure and it needs a very detailed uh, discussion. But I just uh, very briefly mentioned that uh, because I was involving children, youth, uh, the elderly and uh, uh, middle-aged groups, so I had to go through a very lengthy procedure of ethic approval and uh, also coming to concern with the community, I had uh, prior discussion groups with different members uh, in order to be able to see the sensitivities of the research and to see what are the main points for the community to be included. Children as well as their parents uh, were uh, received consent form and uh, in case I used children's image, there was another consent form for that as well. So the ethnography of everyday life it enabled me to collect information in an informal and comprehensive manner. What do I mean by that? It's that? I didn't start my interviews and uh, like focus group discussions the first uh, on the first spot. Rather, I gave it time. I would talk to people about my research in an informal way, and I would try to record their feedback. And there were times that I would interview a person like two times before I actually asked them to do an, like a real interview with me because I thought this uh, giving time is very important for the community first to understand my research and then to be able to uh, comment on it as uh, people who are the owner of the knowledge and uh, that place. And uh, so it was a very interesting uh, procedure that enabled me to meet more people in due time as I was uh, living and uh, uh, visiting camp on a daily basis. In an ethnographic immersion, what comes uh, very interesting is the position of the researcher and how you are in certain times insider and in certain times outsider. What I found that uh, uh, it, it was very empowering for me was how I felt that refugees are kind of repositioning me at times as an insider while I believed myself I was an outsider. And that feeling was very... meaning poverty because uh, there were times that I thought that maybe these people don't trust me because I'm an outsider, I don't live in their lives. But the way I was uh, kind of welcomed and uh, I was uh, seen as someone who has sympathy with their situation. Uh, In the end of one of my interviews, uh, a community member told me, Palestine is no more just the problem of Palestinians. It is the consciousness that lives within both the Palestinians and all those who struggle for truth and justice. It is the dignity and hope living through one of the greatest battles of humanity. I mean, these kind of narratives brought me to the fact that people who struggle with the truth and justice from the point of the community are people who have the same political leave. Uh, I think I had more than I could talk about. So i just go very quickly uh, about uh, the main methods that I I used was the oral history and uh, community mapping with the youth that uh, we invited uh, three Mm -hmm. groups of youth with both girls and boys and we had a mapping exercise to find out uh, the loss And the understanding of the space which had happened uh, due to the war, I mean, in the pre war and post war uh, context of the camp. And uh, ethnography enabled me to understand the narratives of power as I was uh, working at the same time in UN and uh, with the local NGO, when I could see different positionalities and how community was represented in UN structure and in local level, which gave an interesting uh, uh, discussion. Uh, I had uh, a few activities with children that I will just close and I will just show you, that will take two minutes, I hope it's okay. Does it have the program?
2: Recommended settings. Okay. Yeah. The for the of about refugees and you can you can you can right? try to get t- closer to yeah. make mm. mm.
1: Okay. Okay. If you can't hear, maybe I can just.
2: decisión. Don't yeah. mm-hmm. 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 Thank you.